You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, we are continuing our summer in the Psalms today. Uh, And as we celebrate our nation's independence, uh, the many gifts that we enjoy as citizens or residents of this country, people who call this country home, we actually remember that every day, not only once a year, but every day, every time we gather as God's people, we get to celebrate the far greater works of the Lord. Uh, His creation, his redemption, the works of his hands that will endure forever. So we're in Psalm 111 this morning. Uh, That's on page 509. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, But I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open our ears, that we may hear what you will speak. Open our minds, that we may understand what it means to revere you. Open our hearts, that we may grasp the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ. And then open our mouths, that we may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Psalm 111 Uh, is actually an acrostic poem. So after the opening line, praise the Lord, this psalm has 22 other lines, and each one begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, It's not the only psalm to use that form, uh, but here, that acrostic form of this, this psalm speaks to the vastness, to the comprehensiveness of the works of the Lord. So you can think of Psalm 111 a little bit like this. It is an A to Z or quite literally an alpha to omega song or poem about the greatness of God, about the greatness of his works. And we can consider Psalm 111 in three parts. This is a psalm about commemorating God's work, anticipating God's work, and then participating in God's work. Commemorating, anticipating, participating in. So first, commemorating God's works. Uh, This whole section of psalms was actually used by the people of Israel in their yearly rhythms of worship and festivals. Uh, And most specifically, this section of psalms was used during Passover, 
when God brought judgment upon, uh, upon the Egyptians and brought his people out of slavery in Egypt that they'd been in for 400 years. What is this psalm praising God for? As it's even setting up some of the psalms that come after it, it's praising God for both his creation and his redemption. So when it says there in verse 2, great are the works of the Lord, and in verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work, that's the, the psalmist has there in view God's creation. That everything that exists, exists only because God spoke it into existence. And the things that God has spoken into existence are beautiful and good. And they, it, they, they elicit um, reverence and awe and worship from us. That all things were made through him. I was reading a little bit this week uh, and, and read this, that in Cambridge, England, the Cavendish Laboratory, it's a science lab uh, named after the former chemist, uh, the chemist and physicist Sir Henry Cavendish. Uh, he lived in the 18th century. Over the entrance of this lab are inscribed the words of Psalm 111, verse 2. And one author refers to it as a charter for every believing scientist. So above the, the entrance to this lab, it says, Great are the works of the Lord, pondered or studied by all who delight in them. And as I read that this week, I just was really encouraged about that. Christians should never be anti-science. We should always be the best scientists. We should always have the best scientists because we actually recognize science as the pursuit of understanding the works of the Lord, of understanding and, and enjoying and delighting in the world God made. Even when that, and some of you have done this and know this well, even when that stirs up hard questions about how science and faith are compatible, about how they work together, we should never stop pursuing, understanding the works of the Lord. And we live in a, a cultural moment right now where the folly of atheistic science, science that just categorically denies or suppresses the supernatural or creator or God, the folly of that kind of science is increasingly on display and I hope will be in days to come, particularly in things like some of the transgender ideology. So we in our cultural moment have people on the one hand insisting that science is real, simultaneously insisting that biological males should compete in women's Olympic weightlifting. And I have a hope, maybe naive, but I have a hope that someday, God willing, people will wake up from some of the folly of that. And when they do, may they be met by a multitude, a multitude of Christians who compassionately and graciously guide them to the place where all science points, all honest science points. Great are the works of the Lord. Great are the works of the Lord. But even more than creation, this psalm is praising God for his redemption, for his redemption. How he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, and then more broadly, how he brings us out of slavery to sin. Knowing that the, the Passover was the backdrop for these psalms, that brings a lot into our understanding of what the psalmist is writing here. Uh, with that in mind, with that as the backdrop, a lot of these, psalm, these lines come into clearer focus. So the food that God provided, verse 5, that's the manna, that God gave to his people each and every day to sustain them in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The covenant, the next line, uh, is the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai. 
uh, saying that he would be their God and the people of Israel would be his people. He was going to make them a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The power of his works, verse 6, those are the 10 plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians to, to loosen the grip of Pharaoh. That's God parting the Red Sea, uh, making a way where there really was no way and bringing his people out. The inheritance of the nations, that's, that's God bringing people into the promised land, giving them cities they did not build and wells they did not dig and crops that they did not plant. And then the precepts, verse 7, those are the laws and the commands that God gave to his people. That he did not leave them to figure things out on their own. That he revealed more of himself. He revealed more about how they were to live and how they could live as free people and not to enslave themselves again by each going their own way. So there's a couple things for us to see from this commemoration that's happening in Psalm 111. Uh, First, to commemorate God's works is not simply to remember them. It is to, as the psalmist says, study and delight in them. And when you can think of it this way, there's a difference between merely reciting historical facts and reliving the experience of those things. So there's a difference, for example, for me saying, hey, in 1993, game six of the World Series, Joe Carter obliterated the Phillies' hope of winning that World Series by hitting a game-winning home run. I could tell you that, but there's something different about the pit that starts to form in my stomach and the the devastation I felt as a young nine-year-old crying in front of the television when that happened. That's reliving it. That's different than just reciting it. To commemorate something is to step back into it and actually to bring it into the present, to experience something of the difference that it actually makes right now. Eugene Peterson uh, once wrote, the past is not a restored historical site that we tour when we're on vacation. It is a field that we plow and harrow and plant and fertilize and work for a harvest. So I want to ask you this morning, church, do you study and delight in the works of the Lord? Do you study and delight in his creation, his redemption? Have you immersed yourself in scripture, in the word of God, so that you actually can delight in those things? Some of us need to stop dipping our toes in the shallow end and dive all in to plow and plant and work the field of the Bible and of a life before the face of God in prayer so that we actually can reap a field, a harvest of of delight. Others of us, maybe in this moment or in certain seasons of our lives, have dived in, have worked that field. But maybe it's for you become stale or rote, duty instead of delight. And if that's you, I want to call you, I want to invite you to stop merely reciting God's works and to begin again to relive them. How? How can you do that? The same way the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 111, by not only praising God personally, but doing so in community with the congregation. Did you catch that as we read this psalm? Look back at verse one. Commemoration is both a personal and a communal pursuit. So it's personal. The psalmist says, I will thank God with my whole heart. I will not live vicariously off of someone else's gratitude, someone else's study, someone else's delight. I won't just, we might say in our place and time, I won't just consume other people's books and sermons and articles and podcasts. 
I will look for the glory of God until I actually see it. I will look for the glory of God until I see it, until I'm astonished again, until my soul is stirred again. But on the days I just can't see it, because there will be those days. On the days where my own sin or the brokenness of this world so obscures my view, then I will praise in the company of God's people and I will rely upon them. Commemoration is also communal. And so on those days, as the psalmist is even celebrating here, on those days, I can let other people sing the song of God's redemption over me. I can see the freshness and the joy and the praise of someone who is perhaps newer to the family of God or someone who is reliving God's redemption today, someone who is seeing the glory of God today. We can't live vicariously through other people's delight forever. It's meant to be a personal experience. But like the lame man in the gospel accounts, there are some days where you just need other people to carry you to Jesus. And the psalmist is saying here, when we commemorate, we do that personally, but we can also do that together. And with the company of God's people, we can begin to delight again. We can begin to relive the works of the Lord. So that's commemoration. Commemoration. Uh, There's also a sense of anticipation built into this psalm. And so second, let's talk about that, anticipating God's works. And really, the anticipation of Psalm 111 comes in the repetition of one word, and it's the word forever. Five times in this psalm. Verse three, God's righteousness endures forever. Verse five, God remembers his covenant forever. Verse eight, God's precepts are established forever and ever. Verse nine, God has commanded his covenant forever. And verse 10, God's praise endures forever. So as much as this psalm is looking at the rearview mirror uh, into the past, it's also looking through the windshield into the future. And this psalmist personally and also with the company of God's people is saying because of who God is, because of the way he has worked, people can live, God's people can live with confident expectation that he will continue his redeeming work, that he will bring to completion the good work he has begun. Imagine the people of Israel singing this song year after year at Passover. Some years it would have been really hard to give thanks to God and to sing songs of praise and rejoicing like this one. If you're reading through the Bible with us in a year, as I know a number of you are, uh, right now we're in the midst of Chronicles and Kings, those two uh, sections of Old Testament history. And if you've been reading that, or if, if you're familiar with that story in some other way, you'll know there were a lot of bad kings over the people of God. Most of them actually were pretty bad. And they, their rebellion against God led the people into some miserable circumstances. So imagine the faithful gathering at Passover singing this psalm when Ahab was king of Israel or when Manasseh became king of Judah. In those days, the the rearview mirror would not have been enough to sustain hope. Nostalgia, maybe. Hey, remember the good old days when David was king? Solomon was king? Nostalgia, but not confident expectation of God's ongoing redemption. And so the people of God must also anticipate They they must cling, we must cling to the forever nature of God and his work. That's really the essence of this word covenant that you heard repeated several times in this psalm. 
God, as a covenantal God, he promises to be our God and that we will be his people. And the nature of the covenant is to say, even when you, my people, don't uphold your end of the bargain, I'm still God, I'm going to still uphold mine. That even when you are faithless, I'm going to remain faithful. See, if it were just about commemoration, if it were just about us remembering God's works, we would be in trouble. But God is not the only one, or we are not the only one who remember in this psalm. God remembers. And as we read there in verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. So we grow in our communion with God. We can grow in our delight in God as we remember. But at the end of the day, we are held. We are sustained. We are redeemed. We are saved because God remembers. Because God remembers. And all, all of this means, and it would have meant this for the original hearers of Psalm 111, and it means this for us today. Even if we can't see them right now, there are future works of God. There are great works of the Lord yet undone that are part of his forever covenant. And you and I are meant to live our lives longing for and looking for those works. So along with the people of God in every age, let's deepen our sense of forever. Let's deepen our sense of forever. Become someone who is continually anticipating the forever. By default, our, our attention is consumed by the immediate. What just happened five seconds ago, what's about to happen five seconds from now. But God is a forever God. God's kingdom is a forever kingdom. And the more we start to experience that, the more we start to realize that, we realize even more our lives are a vapor. Our lives are a, a mist, a, a blur, a blip on the radar. They're not just grass that is here today and gone tomorrow. They're the dew on the grass that's here this morning and gone this morning. So as easy or as difficult as your lot in life is, as happy or as sad as you are, as easy or as difficult as your circumstances are right now, none of that is actually what endures forever. What endures forever is the righteousness of God. What endures forever is the promises, the covenant of God. Anticipate that foreverness. And, and don't put your hope in your endurance. Put your hope in God's enduring kingdom. Don't hang your life on your ability to remember. Hang your life on God's ability to remember that he remembers his covenant forever. That's what fuels a life of praise and gratitude regardless of what you and I can see today. So there's commemoration in this psalm, there's anticipation, but this psalm also then invites us to participate. And so third and finally, let's talk about participating, participating in God's works. The last few verses here of this psalm uh, include two practical ways for us to participate in these great works of the Lord. And I'll sum them up by saying this, perform the precepts, practice the fear. Perform the precepts, practice the fear. So verse eight, perform his precepts, the commands of God, with faithfulness and uprightness. In other words, the psalmist is saying, obey God, obey God. It's not performing in the sense of putting on a show. It's not a performance, but perform in the sense of enacting God's way of life, of actually doing what God said we should do. 
And then doing that in observable ways, living God's way, not only as a matter of private devotion in our private kind of secluded life, but living that way publicly. You can think about it this way. The, the main way we participate in God's works is by living in light of them. That's the main way you and I participate in the works of the Lord, by living in light of them, in line with the way he has worked and is working in the world. And that's really the whole point. So at the center of God's precepts, of God's commands, are the Ten Commandments. And the whole point of that little preamble to the Ten Commandments is this. These are not rules for how to redeem yourself. This is how to live a redeemed life now that God has made you free. Created by God, we were meant to live out and in light of God's beautiful and good design. Sin, of course, is the corruption of all of that. It is to go against the grain of the good world that God made. And as other authors have pointed out over the years, when you go against the grain of God's world, you get splinters. But even more than splinters, sin is slavery. It enslaves us. The psalmist, though, is rejoicing, greater the works of the Lord. He did not leave us there. He worked his redemption for us. He bought us back out of that slavery. And so our obedience, our performing his precepts, that's actually living out the freed life he has secured for us. Sometimes we can start to think, if I'm going to participate in the great works of the Lord, if I'm going to, if I'm going to use my life to participate in things like that, I need to do something big. I need to do something grandiose, a giant gesture of some kind. But really you don't. You don't. The main way to participate is to actually do what God says and then keep doing it. Tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, a long obedience in the same direction. And actually, if, if we do that, that will be plenty noticeable. You don't have to do anything showy or grandiose. That will be plenty noticeable. Just one example, actually keep a Sabbath day. Actually take one day of your week where you don't work and you're intentionally unproductive. How countercultural would that be? How noticeable would that be in the culture in which we live, but how compelling would that be? That is what it means to participate in God's works. That is living a truly free life. So perform the precepts. And then the second practical thing, the psalmist closes with this in verse 10, practice the fear of the Lord. Practice the fear of the Lord. To fear God is really to acknowledge him. It's to live in humble reverence of God. And it's to stop kidding ourselves that we have more power or control over our lives, let alone anything else, than we actually do. To practice this fear means we're not just checking the box that we believe in God. We're not just saying, yep, I believe in God, check, I fear God. To, to practice this means we make this a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment -moment reflex of acknowledging him, of attending to him, of asking, okay, who is God again? And what does his existence, what do his promises, what does his work, how does all of that come to bear in this moment? In this decision that I need to make? In this conversation that I'm about to have? How does who God is and what God has done come to bear here and now? As both the psalmist and the Proverbs claim, this fear of God, that's the beginning of wisdom. If we don't fear God, in other words, it's inevitable that we start to live like fools, that we start to live as if God doesn't exist or if his existence is inconsequential. 
Instead, we are invited to participate in the great works of the Lord, to display the greatness of God, to display the greatness of all that he has done. And Psalm 112, the very next psalm, that's a sister psalm, a companion one to Psalm 111, is going to pick up right where this left off and talk about how we become like what we worship. We resemble the God that we fear. So practice the fear of God. Bring all that he is into the day in, day out thoughts and words and actions of your life. That is how you and I get to participate in the great works of the Lord. As we've seen, Psalm 111, it is a song for the people of God. It's a song commemorating and anticipating God's works. It's a song about how you and I get to participate in them. And church, what I hope you see this morning, this is our song. This is our song. This is our story. As God sent redemption to his people at Passover in the Exodus, how much more has he sent redemption to us? Because to us, he did not just send redemption, verse 9. He sent us the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. A greater Moses who leads a greater exodus out of our own slavery to sin and death. See, Psalm 111 is an incredible song. It's an alpha to omega acrostic poem about the greatness of God. But friends, Jesus Christ himself is the alpha and the omega. And he will say in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, uh, the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And just as Psalm 111 is about these things, commemoration and anticipation and participation, so too is this table that we now prepare ourselves to come to and that we get to come to not only once a year at Passover, but each and every time that we gather as God's people. At this table, we commemorate the finished work of Jesus. His body offered up, his blood poured out. Jesus said in that final supper with his followers, remember, do this in remembrance of me. It's commemoration. At this table, we also anticipate the future work of Jesus. As he said to his disciples in that meal, I will not eat it again until I eat it with you in the kingdom of God, until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. This table is a taste of his eternal table. And as we say each week, something we do until he comes again. One day when he comes again, we will gather with him at what the Bible calls the wedding feast of the lamb. And so we eat and we drink this bread and this wine, anticipating that forever of God's covenant, of God's kingdom, his future work yet undone. At this table, when you come each and every week, you come proclaiming, come quickly, Lord Jesus, bring it all to completion. Bring it all to completion. And at this table, we participate in Jesus' work. In a unique way, we get to experience our union with him. That God did not just send us redemption, but a redeemer. And that we, by faith, are crucified with him. That we, by faith, are raised to new life with him. That in him, all of the inexhaustible grace of God is yours. So come now, church, and feast again on his grace. Come now to commemorate, 
to anticipate and to participate in the greatest work of the Lord, the salvation he has offered in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Almighty and loving God, we bless you for all the great works of your hands, for this world and everything in it that you made, that you spoke into existence, for the redemption that you have worked and are continuing to work, extending the blessing of your grace as far as the curse of sin is found. Help us, fickle as we are, to commemorate your great works, to anticipate your future great works, and to participate in them. Help us now, even by the power of your Holy Spirit, to taste again, to feast again on your grace at this table, the finished work of Jesus held out to all who come in faith. We look to you now. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.